good morning. It's a joy to be with you today and to have you join us for this service of worship here at Grace Baptist Church. I'll ask you now to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find one on the back of the pew in front of you, and you're welcome to uh, take that Bible. You're actually welcome to keep that Bible if you don't have one. And uh, if you were to turn to page 61, I believe, uh, you would find today's passage, Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read all of the Ten Commandments. I'll uh, read from verses 1 to 17, and then I'll circle back to read the command that we're focusing on today in verse 15. As you're turning there, let me just add uh, a little announcement here to what Glenn already told you. Yes, we're having a Christmas Eve service here at the church at 6 p.m. on Sunday evening. We understand if you have uh, plans already with your family, that's totally fine and good. Um, but if you don't have plans, we ask that you would join with us to uh, celebrate and to see in uh, this great event. Um, it's always a wonderful time. We have a whole host of uh, carols, and uh, we'll read through the Christmas story as we find it in the Gospels. Um, there'll be opportunities for us to uh, be ministered to in music by members of our own congregation. This is Exodus chapter 20. I'll begin reading at verse number 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or their sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And then once again, verse 15, you shall not steal. This uh, thundered from Mount Sinai is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for uh, the, the reading and now uh, the preaching of his word. We ask that the Lord would bless and attend uh, his, his own word and truth to our lives. Well, we're, we're now in the home stretch, and I'm talking both about our study in the Ten Commandments 
and also in the countdown to Christmas. Um, eight days to go, commandment number eight. And the two are actually more connected than you might uh, initially think. Uh, in every Whoville, there are citizens that are trying to make the holiday three times better than the year before, but then there's also a Grinch who's trying to steal Christmas. And this is a season for giving. Uh, about that, there can be no doubt. But the unpleasant reality is that this is also a season for taking. Did you know that in the past three months, something like 17% of Americans have had a package stolen from their porch? Um, usually about worth, worth about $50 on average, and usually from Amazon. And all told, uh, they say that porch pirates have stolen something like $8 billion worth of goods this past year. And this is to say nothing of the hordes of folks who now think it's um, acceptable. They're, they're perfectly comfortable walking out of a store like Target with an armload of unpaid for merchandise. This is the time of year where you see the most ridiculous television commercials. I mean, there's a lot of ridiculous commercials, but these are the most ridiculous. I'm talking about the ones where you see married couples surprising each other with brand new vehicles. You know, she leads him out of the house, and when he's allowed to open his eyes there, he uh, sees a brand new Chevy pickup truck with a big bow wrapped around it. But then it's his turn. He opens up the garage door, and there's a matching SUV for her. And they laugh, and they hug, um, apparently oblivious to the level of dysfunction that is in their marriage. whereby they, they think that it's just perfectly normal to make those kinds of massive financial decisions unilaterally. It's ridiculous, and we laugh, we cry, but do you know what else is ridiculous? If those people lived in Rochester, and if those vehicles were Hyundai, they might, those vehicles might not even be around until the new year. This year, car thefts in Rochester are up 551% from last year. Uh, they're going to finish the year with uh, something like 4,000 vehicles reported stolen. Theft is a huge issue, not just in and around the holidays, and not just in and around big cities, but and, and not just among particular classes and colors of people. No, stealing is a temptation and a sin that is common to man. It is forbidden by this eighth commandment. And you might feel a little bit of deja vu today because this is another commandment that is short and to the point. Furthermore, it's another one of these commandments that we think is largely speaking to other people, not to us. And we fancy ourselves, you know, upstanding citizens, law-abiding people. We turn up our noses at at shoplifters and carjackers and kidnappers. It's other people who have sticky fingers. And as for us, we believe ourselves to have very clean hands. But if you're feeling this way, then I expect that you'll experience some deja vu when, on closer examination, we discover that all of us stand 
condemned again by this commandment. So let's take a closer examination at this commandment, and we'll see in the first place the heinousness of theft. I'm just joking. I, <laughs> I didn't think it would be appropriate this week if I stole the outline from last week and the week before. Maybe next week. This week, the first thing I want to show you is the truth behind theft. The truth behind theft. And maybe you've heard this commandment before. No cheating. I probably heard that most recently at our small group Christmas party last Sunday night. We invited the Dansville group to join us for some food and games. And because those people are not quite as spiritual as we are, we found it necessary to say, and more than once, no cheating. Now, that command only makes sense uh, because it rests on an important pr uh, presupposition. And the presupposition is that there are rules to the game, rules that Tracy Howard spelled out and repeated multiple times, it turns out. And what I'm trying to say is that this command not to cheat only makes sense if there are rules that are known and understood. And in the same way, there's an important presupposition that stands behind this command not to steal. The truth behind theft is that there is such a thing as private property. There's such a thing as private personal property. You can't steal something from someone unless that thing is first rightfully theirs. Dictionary.com makes explicit this presupposition in their definition. They say, to steal is to take, and then in brackets, the property of another without permission or right, especially secretly or by force. By force, sorry. So the, it's the property, it's the rightful property of another that you are taking without permission or right. So what I'm saying to you folks is that in this eighth commandment, private property is presupposed. But there's a truth behind that as well, isn't there? And that's the fact that God owns absolutely everything. This point is explicit in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where we find God making everything that there is. And implicit in that is the fact that God being the author of creation has the authority over all creation. He has ownership of it all. This is repeated throughout scripture. For example, in Psalm chapter, in Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And here in Exodus, multiple times, we've actually heard the Lord affirm this. Um, he says, all the earth is mine. And because of this, the, the Lord has the right to disperse and to dispense his property to man as a sort of stewardship with the result that what he gives us to own and to use for his glory can rightly be, call, be called ours. Uh, we, it's God's, yes, but he gives it to us to use and to um, use for his glory and for the good of other people, but it is ours. And I, I hope I'm not insulting your intelligence here. I, I understand that these are basic facts of scripture and of economics. 
property rights have been recognized. They've been enshrined in the constitution of countless countries down through history. And yet, and yet, history also shows that these basic facts are regularly challenged. In the 19th and 20th centuries especially, a um, number of countries experimented with communism and with socialism. And these are economic systems, really, these are whole worldviews and philosophies that are based on the principle not of private ownership, but of public ownership of everything, labor and goods, everything. It's everything is owned in common. And then what you typically have is a very strong central government responsible for distributing the common goods to the citizens as they have need, whether that be food or education or medical care or housing or whatever, everything. Now, by any honest assessment, these experiments were epic failure. They were deadly, in fact. Despite this, there's still many countries operating under these principles. You think of North Korea and China, Vietnam, Cuba, and countless others to various degrees. And there's even a faction in our own country that, that would love for us to, to adopt this system as our own. There's, there's a certain portion of Americans that are always kind of flirting with these ideas and seeking to apply them, not just economically, but socially. And so it's very common these days to hear words like redistribution and equity. But these are Marxian ideas, and they're, they're used to promote ideas that appear to be loving towards our fellow man. However, they're actually cruel and barbaric. And they would achieve their desired ends only through the destruction of the biblical principle of private property. Now, um, I felt it necessary to say that much because this is kind of the world that we're living in. But I don't want to say much more about that. And believe me, I'm, I'm tempted to. I just want you to be aware of what's going around culturally um, around us. It would be very tempting for me to go off on a rant about Marxism, and I expect that that would be very pleasing for the majority of you to hear, but it would be a distraction because I don't want us to focus on defending our own private property. Rather, I think the Eighth Commandment has us focusing on respecting the property of our fellow man. It has us re rejoicing in their rights, not so much our own. And remember that this is the very point of this second table of the law. It's, it's about how we rightly relate to our fellow man. This is Jesus' interpretation, and consequently, this is the Apostle Paul's. He writes this in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or in any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to neighbor, 
Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that is fantastic. It's always great to find a divinely inspired interpretation of the text that you're currently in. And here we have the Apostle Paul telling us that the Eighth Commandment is all about loving your neighbor. And it's all, it's all about doing no wrong to your neighbor. Stealing from your neighbor, I hope this is clear, wrongs them. It, it robs him of his right, and thus it is unloving. But once again, I'm fearful that many of you will all already kind of be, you know, scooting your butts forward in your pews and, and uh, putting your heads back in the snooze position because you don't believe that any of this applies to you. You would never dream of stealing from your neighbor. Maybe that's the case, but it's also quite possible that you have a very limited understanding of what constitutes theft. And you're excusing yourself because you don't even own a ski mask, you know, let alone, let alone a white van. <coughs> and if that's the case, then it's time for us to look at the second point, which is types of theft. Types of theft. They say that there are no two snowflakes that are exactly alike. I can't confirm that because I haven't examined all snowflakes, but if that's true, that just completely fits with what I know about the Lord. Whether flowers or trees or animals or people, snowflakes, our, our God is a God of variety. And all of these variations are testimony to his creative power and they're testimony to his own beauty. And we as God's uh, image bearers are also capable of great variation in the things that we create. And if you don't um, believe me, just go to Bed Bath and Body Works and Beyond or whatever. Go to one of those stores and try to pick out soap for your wife's stocking, all right? <laughs> but this side of the fall, most, uh, most of our creative ability, let's just be honest, is, pursue, is employed in the pursuit of sin. The Bible calls us inventors of evil. When it comes to theft, there's nearly an endless variety of ways that we have concocted in order to take other people's stuff. So while it's true that this is a very short and simple and kind of punchy command, again, this is just two words in the original Hebrew, the rest of scripture has to drill down on a variety of ways that this commandment can be and is broken on a regular basis. And we see some of this in the ensuing chapters. For example, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 6, just the next chapter over, we read, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone who is found in possession of him shall be put to death. That, that's just in case you thought that stealing was limited to you know, simply swiping a, a pack of gum at the checkout aisle. You've you got to understand that this here is, is one 
variety of theft and a particularly heinous one, stealing people, kidnapping, sex trafficking, hostage diplomacy. It's hard to imagine a greater oxymoron. Th that, that's just to name a, a few different sub-varieties. And it's interesting that this most extreme case of man-stealing, it's named first. And understandably, it carries with it the most severe kind of punishment, capital punishment. Not just for the initial thief, but also for the buyer of this stolen human property. Incredibly egregious breach of the Eighth Commandment is man-stealing. Exodus chapter 22, verse 1, outlines another case. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. And I think you can easily imagine the scenario, uh, even among the people of Israel. A, a man wants to increase his own flock, so he takes a sheep or an ox from his neighbor. And maybe, maybe he doesn't want to get caught, and so he doesn't want to be stuck with the evidence, so he takes that thing and sells it at the, at the livestock auction, and he cashes it out. Well, for that breach of the Eighth Commandment, for that hatred of his neighbor, this thief must pay fourfold or fivefold. And as Scripture unfolds, we encounter all kinds of ingenious ways that sinners break this commandment. One uh, other example is just removing ancient landmarks that people have set. And this is, I think, the precursor to our, our modern surveying flags or stakes. And it, it's like if you were in your own property to just take those stakes, those flags, and move them out inch by inch every couple of months or so. Um, you would be making your own property progressively bigger and you would be stealing your neighbor's land, making it progressively smaller. Um, this was apparently common practice in Israel. The Westminster Larger Catechism, which was written in the 17th century by a number of Scottish clergy, um, it has done an admirable job, I think, of trying to enumerate the varieties of Eighth Commandment violations. And so here's their answer to question number 142. The question is, what are the sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? And I want you to listen carefully to the answer that this catechism gives. You'll have to listen carefully because it's fairly comprehensive. The sins forbidden, they say, in the Eighth Commandment Besides the neglect of the duties required are theft, robbery, man-stealing, receiving anything that is stolen, fraudulent dealing, false weights and measures, removing landmarks, injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between man and man, or in matters of trust, oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, vexatious lawsuits, unjust enclosures and depopulations, engrossing commodities to enhance the price, unlawful callings, and other 
unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him or of enriching ourselves, covetousness, inordinate prizing and affecting worldly goods, distrustful and distracting cares and studies in idleness, prodigality, wasteful gaming, and all other ways whereby we do unduly prejudice our own outward estate and defrauding ourselves of the due use and comfort of that estate which God has given to us. That's a mouthful. Imagine being a, a kid having to commit that answer to memory. It's a pretty detailed answer, and it does a great job of summarizing the varieties of stealing that you come across in Scripture, like the use of false weights and measure. But you can also see that these, these divines, these uh, clergymen, these pastors, are addressing some varieties of this sin that were very common in the 1600s, like unjust enclosures and depopulations. This was the practice of shutting down certain neighborhoods and displacing people from their private property. Or closing a field that, that before was previously, you know, it was previously open for public grazing. Not people grazing, but like bringing your, your sheep to graze on this public land. But those sometimes were closed off now for the benefit of the wealthy who were on neighboring property. And my point is that the, the framers of these Westminster standards felt the need to describe modern 17th century varieties of Eighth Commandment violations. And for just a few minutes, I'd like to update the list with a few 21st century varieties of theft. And certainly I could talk about um, online scams and identity theft and the like. I'm, I'm concerned about those things, especially with some of you senior saints. Uh, I know that sometimes you get taken in by those. Um, but I hope you won't mind if I direct our attention to the ways in which we might be the Eighth Commandment violators, not just victims. That's what I want to focus on today. And I've got just a small list here. Some of it I'll just mention, and others I'll, I'll offer some brief comments. This is certainly not an exhaustive list. And it's possible that for some of this, uh, some of you folks might not even know what I'm talking about. And that's good. I'm happy about that. But you should still listen because that's, a, no, that's one of the ways that you can love your neighbor because they may know what I'm talking about and they may need to hear it even if you think I'm speaking some kind of foreign language. Okay, so are you curious now? I, I've raised expectations here. Let's get into it. Let's start with digital piracy. I'll try my best to explain this to the older folks. Um, you know the FBI warnings that you had on your old VHS tapes at the very beginning? Or, or Betamax? I don't know what you were into. You know how it was illegal to copy your, f your friend's albums onto blank cassette tapes? Well, all of those have their equivalent in our digital age. So it's very possible for our young people to have digital copies of 
movies and music and video games that they haven't paid for. They watch these on torrents or they stream rip these from subscription services. And uh, I know it's very popular and maybe you might even argue it's so popular as to be just expected and accepted, but let's be real for a second. Password sharing on these subscription services is a form of stealing. Can we talk about plagiarism? Plagiarism is the practice of taking someone else's work or ideas and passing them off as your own. I stole that definition from dictionary.com. <laughs> but it's not actually stealing because I gave them credit. Okay? So young people, if your teacher gives you a writing assignment, if, if, you, if you are given an essay to write, it is not acceptable for you to just cut and paste it together from things that you found on the internet. And with the, the rise of artificial intelligence, it's now easier than ever to take a block of someone else's writing and then you just import it into ChatGPT and ask them to summarize or reword that material and then you just cut and paste that into your essay and sign your name to it. In other words, it's never been easier than it is now to break the Eighth Commandment. And that, this is not just a temptation for school kids with Chromebooks. Plagiarism is a massive problem for pastors. Pastors with the constant pressure of, of a looming sermon that's just coming every week, multiple times maybe a week. And I'm appalled at all of the marketing that comes my way from, from Christian services, from Christian magazines or websites or whatever that encourage this practice. So if I use this particular company's AI tools, or if I use this company's team of researchers, I could have most of my sermons built for me. And it would, and they, it would free me up to, to minister in so many other God-glorifying ways. You know, they really, they really sell you on this. It's marketed very coyly, very Christianly. But these people are encouraging me to break the Eighth Commandment. Next, we could mention the stealing that takes place in the workplace. And this goes both ways. Employers could be stealing from their employees. In fact, this is something that the Apostle James has to strongly address in his letter to Christians of, of in various cities. He's addressing this to Christian business owners when he says in, in his letter, chapter 5, verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the Lord of hosts. It's, it's very possible and it's culpable for employers to defraud, essentially to steal from their employees what is rightfully theirs, to withhold it, to, to keep it back. So if you're a, 
a boss who for the last 17 years has given your employees a substantial bonus for Christmas, one that they now count on as part of their salary, it's not right for you to take it away without notice and instead sign them up for the Jelly of the Month Club, you know, just to, just to take one example. But I, I think it may be a much more common practice for employees to steal from their bosses, to steal from their company. You can actually take items and justify it's so easy for us to justify things, isn't it? You know, oh, they can just write that off or you know, the company somehow owes it to me. However, I think what's more common is that employees are often guilty of stealing their, their company's time. Listen, and listen especially young people, please. When you're on the clock, then you're working for someone else, okay? Your time and your energy is rightfully theirs because they're paying you for it. It's theirs. So you are stealing when you do personal things on their time. And so, yes, I'm saying, young people, that it is wrong for you to be continually tethered to your phone while you're at work. You're breaking the Eighth Commandment. And there's so many more varieties of stealing, so many more examples that I could give. But let me just mention a couple more. And this will tie in with our discussion from last week. Uh, last week, you know, I, I already broke the awkward barrier last week. It, it's difficult to talk about these things in general, but especially so close to Christmas. But since I already broke through last week, let me just go with it, all right? Last week, if you'll recall, we talked about one of the helps against adultery was to delight in your own spouse. And along those lines, I mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, which speaks of the goodness of regular marital relations and how that pattern should not be broken, except, here's one exception, maybe for a time of prayer as a sort of fast, but even only then for a short time, so that the devil doesn't take that and run with it. And in this context, the Apostle Paul commands couples not to defraud one another. And that's, that's the language that we're talking about today in the Eighth Commandment. So in, in the Apostle Paul's mind, to withhold yourself from your spouse is a breach of the Eighth Commandment. Paul argues elsewhere that a husband's body doesn't belong to him but to his wife, and vice versa. And so to keep your body and your soul for yourself is stealing from what is rightfully your spouse's. This has implications for fornication as well. Hey, we're into it. Let's just, let's just keep going with this a little bit. And I will say this to any young man who might be pressuring a young woman to sleep with him. She is not your wife. And quite possibly, she will be someone else's wife in the future. You shall not take her virginity. You must not steal her purity. She is not rightfully yours. 
And I hope these, just these few examples ought to be enough to establish the point that we can and we do break the eighth commandment in a variety of ways. We, all of us, are guilty of theft. And as Pastor Dick prayed earlier, fundamentally, we are all guilty of robbing God of the glory that is rightfully his. In our own sin and rebellion, we, we want to grab all that glory for ourselves. And we want to build up our own kingdom. And to, in order to build up our own kingdom, we find it necessary to steal from God and to steal from others. And we do so in a variety of ways and all the time. And it should feel like deja vu all over again to recognize that that's a, that's a bad news situation. You might wonder, is there any good news? Why, yes, there is. And I'm glad you asked that. I'm going to steal from last week's sermon to remind you of that wonderful passage that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you remember it? It, it does start with some bad news. It says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor thieves will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the fact. That's the fact. And that's bad news because we are, all of us, thieves. But it goes on. And such were some of you, Corinthians. And such were some of you, Grace Baptist. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Imagine that. A, a thief standing in front of the judgment seat of God who, after hearing all of the evidence, slams down his gavel and says, justified, not guilty. You wonder, how on earth is that possible? How can, how can that judge, how can God remain just, but also be the justifier of all who come to him? Well, that's because justice has been served by Jesus, our substitute. The Lord Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross in, in the place of thieves like you and me. Jesus paid the death penalty that was due us. And, and that's not all. This is amazing. Jesus goes the extra mile just as he charges us to do. Our, it's not just that our dirty rags are put on him, but he gives us his tunic as well. He clothes us in his perfect righteousness, that alien righteousness. And not only has Jesus justified us, but his spirit now sanctifies us. It means that we're, we're washed. The, the gugon of the gospel is powerful enough to cleanse sticky fingers. That's the point, I suppose. And by the power of the gospel, thieves believe and scammers are, are scrubbed clean. I think there, there's probably no better example of this in scripture than the story of Zacchaeus. You, you remember Zacchaeus, don't you? He was a wee little man. <laughs> a wee little man was he. 
But the most notable thing about Zacchaeus wasn't that he was vertically challenged. It was that he was morally bankrupt. He was not financially bankrupt. He, he, quite the opposite. He was a tax collector, and he made bank on charging his fellow citizens exorbitant rates. And he made his fortune on eight commandment violations. That was until the day that he met Jesus. And we're not given all of the details of that encounter, except this one, and this is a glorious one, Jesus was not at all ashamed to identify with this notorious thief. And so changed and so washed was Zacchaeus by this encounter with Christ that he said, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything he had, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that what was lost. Just think about that phrase. Seek and save that the lost. You, you know that when someone has had something stolen or they believe it's been stolen, they, they post signs all over the city. If that thing's been precious to them, they'll, they'll have those tear-off phone number signs and they'll offer rewards. They will grant amnesty if only that precious item be returned to them. Other people don't wait for the item to be returned they go out and get it. And so one thinks along these lines of Liam Neeson in that movie Taken when his, his own daughter was kidnapped. He's not going to rest until he brings her back home. Well, in, such, in much the same way, sinners have been stolen. They, they have been ca taken captive by Satan to do his will. And the Lord Jesus Christ serves Satan notice that he has a, a, a particular set of skills. Skills that make him a nightmare to someone like the devil. Our, our Lord comes to seek and to save the lost and he crushes the head of the serpent in the process. What a wonderful savior is Jesus our Lord. And now he calls us, having justified us, and in sanctifying us, he calls us to substitute for our stealing. And here's our third point, which I'm now wrapping up, if you can believe it. There's a trade for theft. There's a trade for theft. For those of us who have been justified by Christ and, and been washed by the Spirit, here's our marching orders. And this is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Here, here's the trade for thievery. Instead of using your hands to pilfer, we, we're to use our hands to labor, and to labor diligently. We're called to work, and to work hard. Believe, I'm, I'm convinced of this. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be the hardest working people in their company. 
They should be the most honest employees that their bosses have ever had or could ever hope to, to have. And by, the, by this means, the Lord is pleased to meet our needs. And here's the kicker. And make enough, make enough money by our hard and honest and diligent work that we have enough to share with those who are in need. This is, this is the incredible power of the gospel, that it turns takers into givers. It, it turns the selfish into selfless. It turns us into people who love the Lord our God with all of our heart and mind and strength and soul and who, who love our neighbor as ourselves. And brothers and sisters, may we go from this place as, as lovers, as givers, not just at Christmas, but all the year long in f and for the rest of our lives until such a time that the Lord Jesus Christ comes like a thief in the night and brings us home to glory. Amen? Amen. Amen.